Peace, y'all, and welcome to Gather and Heal, the podcast. My name is Vanessa Suhey, and I am your holistic host. Basically, we're going to have lots of combos. Sometimes it'll be just me, and sometimes we'll have some guests. No matter what the topic is, though, I'm going to make sure that it connects right back to your emotional wellness and healing journey. I am, as usual, ecstatic about today's recording. I've got Ashley here with me. And y'all already know, I don't do the bio thing. I'm going to let her share her bio because there's just so much dopeness behind it. But we are going to chat a little bit today about what it is like to be navigating and going through um, eating disorders and recovery while also remembering but of course, that we can do so and should do so in community. And I'm really excited about this conversation because Ashley, you're actually the first person who has um, prompted a discussion around eating and relationships with food. And so this will be a really, really cool and different episode for our listeners. So I'm just jumping for joy. I'm excited. But Before we go into that, tell us a little bit about yourself. I like to hear who are your people, what do you enjoy doing, and then of course, you know, like the professional piece of it too. Yeah, of course. Oh my goodness. I'm so honored and excited to be here. Um, Where to start? I'm like trying to sort of go through mentally a little of the like, who am I pieces? Mm. Um, So I am multiracial. I'm um, Mexican, Lebanese, and Chinese. Um, So that's some of my ethnic and just sort of cultural background and heritage. Um, Pronouns she, her, cis female, cis het female, and a child of immigrants. I'm actually based in California, which is where I I was raised, um, but I spent some time on like the East Coast. So I sort of feel like I'm one of those like folks who sort of moves around, but also has like legacy, family legacy of moving around, Mm. um, which is definitely a big part of like who I am. Um, I'm a dog mom, sister, family member, of course. um, And just like love, really, really love and connected to um, especially my Mexican and Chinese heritage and culture Mm. and just like what that means. Um, both in terms of like close relationships, but I think even just on like the larger scale of um, what it means to be someone who, especially in California, is both Mexican and Chinese, where there's a lot of representation, um, which feels both like a privilege um, in like the mental health context and space where I feel like I can really connect with other um, Latinx providers and other Asian providers, but also Mm -hmm when I've been in other spaces has been one of those kind of moments of like, oh, this is actually a rarity. Mm. Um, And so I'd say that sort of segues a little into just like professional stuff and background too. Oh, but before I get there, let me add on. I'm also a foodie. I love cooking. Um, so and French fries, y'all. She loves French fries. <laughs> I love French fries so much. And I forgot to mention earlier, I have like totally gotten into baking unicorn cakes, which I feel like is like probably five years <laughs> too late from when it was popular. But it's totally a thing that I do. Um, that's awesome. And so I think that's just sort of like the foodie fun, but it's creative too. Mm-hmm. And so because professionally I do a lot of eating disorder work and I'm also a foodie, I'd say like I, I spend a lot of time trying to 
almost like connect with food and just appreciate it in like all of the layers of complexity. Mm. Of course, like a, a big part of eating disorder recovery and treatment ends up being like, let's talk about like the, the difficult and sort of conflictual intense relationship with food. But I also firmly believe like food is like so cultural and has so many layers and meanings and it's fun and it's creative and like it's sort of like a, a playground of sorts yeah and so that's something that i definitely just hold really dear personally and like to you know mm -hmm. have as a kind of personal resource um in my work as an eating disorder therapist and a clinical supervisor and ultimately doing consultation too mm. so many things so many I I have a very, very important question. Well, first, I never heard of this unicorn cake thing. <laughs> so you're talking about your, you might be five years too late. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. Like literally shaped, a, a cake shaped like a unicorn or is it colorful or what? what is this? Yeah, so it's, there are like so many layers. This is like a total rabbit hole if you like ever want to like really fall into it. Um, so it's like a cake, I think the the like five years ago style was more like it's a cake like a layered cake mm -hmm. that is sort of like shaped like a unicorn head horn um i love doing like frosting work so you can do like frosting work mane and make it super super colorful um i like to go a little over the top probably <laughs> with unicorn cake making so i'll actually do like different layers and have each layer be like a different flavor and then think of like what i want like the sort of like in between the layers like if i want like a fruit preserve or like something gotcha. like sprinkly or you know just like really colorful i'm um, coming over i need some unicorn cake <laughs> but i've also seen which i love especially like connected to pride when folks will do like inside the unicorn cake is like very rainbowy in like a marbled way um, so i'm like that is totally where i want to go next i haven't gotten to that like more advanced level yet um but i just there's a realm of creative possibilities there so yeah. i love it that's so fun i am not a baker i burn things so <laughs> I leave that to my partner. I'm like, I want some cake. Can you make them? I can't do that. <laughs> totally okay. And if you ever want to try it out, um, I'm sure you'd be welcome and, you know, totally able to do it too. Yeah. But no pressure. Oh, so the important question, what kind of dog do you have? And what's their name? I love her babies. Yes, she's a, I call her apartment size because she's on the smaller like side, um, but she's an apartment size German Shepherd mix and her name is Cookie. I can't, I love it. <laughs> I have a new kitten. I don't know how old they are. I don't know what the gender is. None of the above can't answer those questions yet. They've got their first vet appointment later today. So we'll have, I'll have some answers to those questions later. Mm -hmm. um, and a dog, her name is Nala. She's a pit mix that we rescued and she's eight years old. Aww. That's my baby. <laughs> Excuse me? Do they get along? Yeah. Oh, okay. I know, that's, I know. That's important. <laughs> I was nervous because if they didn't, I mean, yeah, we'd have to rehome Kitty because 
you know, it's not going anywhere. It's my baby. But no, they they play with each other, and I have the cutest picture of them snuggling. I was still looking after that. You have to have the snuggling pictures. So cute, so cute. I love it all. Yeah. Um. So, can you tell us before we start talking a little bit more about eating disorders and recovery? Kind of what brought you into that niche, that part of the field? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this feels like it's been like a story in the making for me really mm. like last about 10 years or so, but I, I think I could even potentially like go further back if I like really, really got into it. Um, really for most of the last 10 years, I've been in the eating disorder field. I, well, in the eating disorder field, I'd say in more of like the professional sort of capacity. I think of course, like many folks, even though I think in our communities of color, we don't really talk about it. Mm -hmm. I've had folks in my personal life who have struggled with eating like disorder behaviors or just mm -hmm. really disordered patterns. Um, and so there's a lot sort of personally and just like in terms of community that I think is a big part of my story. Um, the sort of professional piece though for me ended up almost being a little bit of a, a stumbling, like I kind of I can say like I sort of accidentally stumbled into the eating disorder field, but I think there's a big piece of like, I got there because I think I was supposed to like be there. Like the universe just sort of created mm. and opened up that space. And, um, and that has been a big part of just continuing, like continuing to have these opportunities and really grow. Um, I ended up actually starting out the very, very first eating disorder sort of space that I worked in was a residential eating disorder treatment center for women. Um, and I was doing primarily clinical research and looking at outcomes, like very sort of acad academic-y nerd, like number mm -hmm. stuff, which like totally is part of my heart. So like, I think I, I wanted to like start there and I was fresh out of college. And so it just, I think, created a bit of a structure and like initial building block for me to dive in without um, diving in and, and potentially getting like really overwhelmed because there's a lot like there's a lot with eating disorders and and um, I think for me especially like it it ended up being kind of the perfect entryway for me to get mm. um, so that I could see and be part but not like see and be part in a way where I couldn't also like be able to reflect a lot and like reflect on personal pieces and cultural pieces and like how I wanted to just envision change in the eating disorder space mm. because the center I was at and sort of the eating disorder field at large is primarily white, cis, able-bodied, thin females. Mm -hmm. um, and typically there's a level of affluence because treatment is super expensive. Yes. And, and that ends up just being really, really inaccessible for most of the folks in the world who are struggling with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. um, and it also unfortunately kind of confirms a lot of the stereotypes and myths about who struggles, mm -hmm. um, which is so far from the truth. But I think we're we're like constantly, especially as providers of color in an eating disorder space, like we're constantly sort of like pushing back the narrative and saying, hey, hold up, we need to actually talk about the fact that black and brown folks do get eating disorders. Mm -hmm. It's not a white person's disease. But I think like that, that sort of like pushing back against the stereotypes and the message is still very much something we're doing. Um, and I think that that's at, 
in the last 10 years actually been like a really, really big part of my professional journey. Mm. And just my passion because I want us to have these eating disorder treatment spaces and healing spaces that are really inclusive and equitable and super attuned to what it's like to be in any sort of minority or marginalized body mm-hmm. eating and wanting to heal from an eating disorder instead of continuing to suffer with like without being seen without having opportunities to heal and engage with treatment providers who get it I think that's right. really important yeah and as you were talking about like pushing up against, I was also thinking about pushing up against that system, mm-hmm. right? Because the eating disorder world is, it's kind of like sometimes its own world, right? Yep. And I, it's not a world that I've dabbled in or been very familiar with, but I've seen enough and interacted with other colleagues that I also know that the treatment modalities and types mm-hmm. of conversations and styles and the way that they happen aren't always very inclusive, right? And so just even in this short part of our conversation, I love hearing how much you do talk about culture because it's it food is a huge part of a lot of BIPOC community cultures. And so for us to just kind of, or for providers to just maybe pretend like it's not there or put it to the side, it's just, it's not realistic because if and when people leave a particular treatment facility or residential, and they're going back home. Yep. So we're going back home to our community and culture and foods. Mm-hmm. And that's where the recovery piece comes in. in exactly. exactly. And I mean, I think it's even, you know, we talk about things like code switching. And I think talking about code switching and what that piece is like, especially in eating disorder recovery, is mm-hmm. a huge factor. Because if someone has to, like potentially a black and brown person walks into a treatment center, has to code switch because their milieu is primarily cis, white, able, thin folks Mm -hmm. are not in any sort of kind of constellation of what that looks like. A lot of times the treatment centers are sort of setting up intentionally or unintentionally. Like I want to give a little bit of that sort of context piece, but setting up this, this kind of narrative and conversation of, this is what a recovery meal plan looks like and the specific foods mm. that are there and the way you eat those foods and when you eat those foods. And there's like all these sorts of layers, which may actually be super, super different. Like even just this piece of like eating, what if I want to eat like, like um, a molete, like beans over some toast for mm. breakfast? I probably couldn't do that in a treatment center. Like no one's gonna have the beans made. And I'm probably like, unless my, my, my like team is like sort of culturally sensitive and gets it, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're not gonna, they're probably going to give me some looks when I say, this is what I normally eat for breakfast at home. Right. Because I have the stuff left over. Like I have the beans left over from last night's dinner. Right. I always have the bread, like it's on the counter. All I need to do is cut it, you know, like spread some beans, maybe some cheese, throw it in the oven to toast for, you know, the five minutes I'm brushing my teeth. And then, you know, just sort of go. But that isn't necessarily something that I think a lot of just providers, unless they they have sort of slowed down in some of that cultural like attunement, mm-hmm. it's 
it can create this just sort of jarring disconnect of like, okay, so this is how I'm supposed to act in this treatment center. And yet like, this is how I'm being sort of taught what recovery looks like and how to structure my recovery, but it doesn't match with home. It doesn't match with who's around me. It doesn't match with the foods that are around me. It doesn't match with how we talk about food or like when we eat more in the day versus less in the day or how frequently we eat or like the whole social component around eating mm-hmm. um, or, you know, like how many comments around like, you need to eat more because you look blah, 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 like right. very, very different context. And that's, I think, where that cultural richness and being able to like really sink into the relationships of what it means to be cultural human beings is so important. And I I, I just love stuff like that. Like I, I love talking with colleagues about this, um, but I like also really love the moments of being able to step back and like reflect on like how, how to as human beings, our own messages around culture and food and bodies and like what are good and bad bodies, foods, culture, like right. cultural messages, all of that I, I think is really, really fascinating. And I just appreciate it. It's so important. Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine too, for clients stepping into, um, we'll go with residential for now, stepping into a residential and feeling like they do need to code switch, right? The, or in IFS terms, they have a part that comes up and says, oh, this isn't for us, let's switch. And how much that gets in the way of the work that they could be doing and the work that maybe they could be receiving and altering so that it is adaptable for them. But again, when, we're talking about these larger systems, it's hard to make those tweaks. It's hard to be able to push back, especially as the client. And then I also know it goes up with clinicians and supervisors and such, but it's a hard conversation, but it's so powerful and such a necessary one to say, hey, this is what my client wants for breakfast, right? So I'm, I'm Dominican, so I'd want some fried cheese with some plantains and some salami. Mm-hmm. That's breakfast, y'all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All that fried shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and to go into a place that's like, here's the meal plan. Yeah. And then when you go home, this is what your meal plan should look like and continue to look like. And looking yeah. at these things, I'm also thinking from like socioeconomic status, mm-hmm. accessibility, good. right? Mm-hmm. And, oh, well, we don't have this in our house or I don't even know where to get this, whatever it might be right? The, the layers that come in to the treatment and recovery. Absolutely. And food security or food insecurity and scarcity, mm-hmm. food deserts and food swamps, like all of those are huge parts of a conversation that end up being very much part of the cultural conversation and just the cultural layers mm-hmm. uh, that, that unfortunately, I think, there's some promising sort of like shifts and movements in parts of the eating disorder field where I feel like there's more like awareness and conversation. There's just a need for so much more. Like, let's make this the norm Mm -hmm. so that anytime we're seeing someone, there's a conversation of who are you culturally? What are the the cultural layers about your experience and the way all of those layers intersect that um, are really relevant and important to 
recovery to healing and recovery and healing in a way that is long-term and sustainable right. rather than just like a short-term sort of behavioral modification within this little tiny microcosm rather than looking at the overall like system and just the complexity that is inherent in all of us being human beings. I think that's really important. Yes, because we are human. <laughs> that's one of my favorite things to just kind of like wrap things back and remind clients like we are human. Things are going to shift. Things are going to come up. It's more around how aware are you about yourself and what you need and how you can communicate these things. And I know that's not possible for everyone. So then how do we as supportive communities show up for one another? Mm -hmm. And I love that, that when someone comes in, tell me about you, who are you? Who are, like I said, who are your people? And how do all of these intersecting layers come together in your relationship with food, in your relationship with other people, in your relationship in your neighborhood and so on? Because when we skip past all of that, we miss so much. Mm -hmm. So much gets lost. And it, for lack of better words, it's just not fair. It yeah. really, really is just not fair. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I totally agree. And if I can like add on, even like in the missing so much, I, I think there's a, piece where we can miss out on seeing a lot of strengths and resources mm. and like legacies of resilience and survival that folks have and are carrying forward. Um, but that really does require like that piece of, okay, let's look at everything. Like let's mm -hmm. not, let's not broad strokes this and like make all the assumptions. Let's start out with, hey, you're a human being, help me understand your your world, your perspective. Because even if I were, I love saying this in therapy, like even if I shadowed you like 24 seven for the next two or three weeks, the reality is I still don't know what it's like to be you. I don't know what's going on like in your head, in your heart, in your spirit, in your body. Like that's where I really lean on your expertise. And I think just like, like really, really open up, like open hearted, just open space, like in such a like endless expansiveness like that. Um, there's a lot of good that comes from it. And I think that's that's so, so powerful and so much more than that. Like, let me just blah, 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 assume like these you boxes. Yeah, the boxes. And I'm like, oh, my God, the boxes, no boxes. <laughs> Get rid of them all. <laughs> Labels in the boxes. Mm -hmm. But you know what I'm thinking about too, when you were talking about this expansiveness and open heart, I think that's truly amazing and absolutely beautiful. And I also know that there are clinicians and helpers and people who would be really uncomfortable with whatever it might be that the person sitting across from them is sharing. Yeah. And sometimes that's, that's what gets in the way, right? For providers and helpers to be able to say, I don't know a lot about your culture and your food or what it was like to grow up in this neighborhood or socioeconomic, whatever it might be, but please tell me, how can I best support you despite having this gap in knowledge, right? Yeah. And being good with saying, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where 
we talk about like egos and people being able to just kind of pause it and put it to the side because I'm not the expert and I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. And even if I think I do, I really fucking don't. <laughs> like you said, I could follow you 24 seven for weeks on end and I still won't know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I feel like this is like where that like being professional helpers, like the two sort of parts very much overlap and intersect. And that's to me almost a piece where I'm like, okay, if we can almost engage with our own, I'm saying such a clinical supervisor thing here. So like, but like this piece of, okay, if we can engage with our own humanity, and recognize like our own sort of like barriers and messages and things like that that get in the way of being able to open up I think that's so important like for me I I think so much about this piece of like and I I think this applies to a lot of communities of color and a lot of minority and marginalized communities shame is such a strong like factor and I I think sometimes we skirt around talking about shame and like the siblings of shame because it's so heavy and it's also such a a way that like we are sort of boxed in to those like small compartments where there isn't that openness Mm -hmm. and like i i know even just sort of like in moments where i coach myself or where i'm coaching uh like an intern or an associate there's something about being able to say like okay like we are, many of us are socialized by shame to not be okay with not knowing. Mm -hmm. Can we just like take a moment and pause and like acknowledge that and acknowledge that like, this is real. This isn't something like that we're making up. It's real. And like, if we can open up just a little bit, like open up just a little bit and then like, it's the steps. Like, however we as human beings, like, take those steps forward mm-hmm. do some of that like imagine the possibilities like imagine oh. what can come from that like imagine and I, I'm totally a dreamer so I like have moments where I'm like like let's just sort of like envision and like sort of take that route and and I think there's a lot of hope that can come from that mm-hmm. it starts out pretty tricky though and that's you know that's that's okay I want to say exactly what you did in a way that people who are listening might be familiar with, because I say we've got parts, right? And so that's a shame part that Mm -hmm. is activated. And if and when we can ask that shame part to give us some space, Mm -hmm. then our self energy can come through. Mm -hmm. And that is that self to self connection that can help and that can happen between you and one other person or multiple people, right? Like self-energy is so powerful Mm -hmm. um, to open up space. And even as you said it, I did a deep sigh because I was like, oh, yes, I can feel that space come through. Yeah. Um, So it's so beautiful. It's so powerful. And you're right. The the power that a lot of people, and I've been guilty of too, of course, that we give shame, Mm -hmm. that part of us takes up a lot of space, remains activated consistently for a lot of people. Um, And I get it, right? Because there are a lot of easy comments that 
family or friends or we see on TV, like, oh, you're going to have another one or, oh, why aren't you doing that? And you haven't gone to the gym and done a workout, whatever it might be. Mm. All of those undertones are trying to shame someone. And then after a while, and this is when I ask clients and I ask people, I say, hey, the volume on that part is really loud, but is that actually your voice or is it an external one? And then, you know, we go back and it's like, oh yeah, that's so-and-so who used to say that to me so much and consistently. Yeah. That's not you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like allowing the opportunity to just kind of like explore and see what's happening within me. Mm -hmm. So then it gets me thinking a little bit about how does the recovery work when people are leaving particular residencies or if it's outpatient treatment too, right? And then they're returning home and things don't match. (laughs) I learned this over here. My therapist was telling me about this, but this is what it's actually like at home. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. How do you support people? How do they navigate through that? Yeah. I I like really starting with like the point of, okay, like let's let's talk about expectations and assumptions and what you want. I think if we can start there, especially like in, in clinical work and working with clients, if we start there, like that actually creates a, a space of just feeling really empowered and feeling like your voice, your exp- your perspectives, your lived experiences and that expertise mm-hmm. are so important. And if we can start there, like, I think that's where our relationship really sort of comes together and like the foundation is really built mm-hmm. because then we can not only like go into the sort of like problem solving space, but also go into this space of, okay, where do we start? Like, where is... For, for some clients, it's like, okay, I, I want to dive in. So I, I need to start talking about the fact that my family members comment and, and use this sort of language around body shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. And in the treatment center, they said, for example, like, we don't use this language, period. Mm-hmm. And so I'm having a hard time, like, this is treatment life. This is home life. Right. I need some help. Like, I want this part of home life to maybe like not include this language, but I don't have the language or the words or the like confidence in myself right now to know how to start having that conversation with my brother, sister, like other siblings, or like, I'm really nervous about what will happen if I start this conversation, like those types of pieces. And I think in working with clients, like as we talk about, fears, anxiety, like things that sort of feel like they're pressure or barriers or could get in the way that helps us sort of like peel back the layers one by one and also get into the space of, okay, so what you're saying is really, really powerful. Like I'm hearing your wisdom and voice shine through. Mm. Like, let's acknowledge that. Let's like, let's honor that. Let's celebrate that. And also let's pull in more of the resources that like support you in this space. Mm-hmm. What does that sort of feel like? Like I think that type of, of course, slowing down, taking the perspective, um, 
so that we can honor and celebrate change and just growth moments. Because I think that's really like that sort of, to me, balance is a really important piece. So being able to talk about like what's difficult, but also like what's working and Mm -hmm. um, because I think growth is, growth is very much about both. It's not about one or the other. Right. And that slowdown piece that you talked about, or even right before that, you were talking about peeling back the layers one by one, right? Pacing ourselves. Because I know that a lot of times we're like, but this is the problem and I need to get over here. And so what's the fastest route between points A and B? And I'm like, well, it's more like points A through Z. (laughs) And we got pit stops over here. We go forward over here, a little backwards to the side over this way. Just like setting those expectations and helping people to be, I don't want to say realistic. I want to say kind to themselves, right? Because the expectation of going from point A to point B like this, that's not, that's not it. We're talking about experiences and conversations and such that have been happening more often than not for years. Yeah. And so we got to give all of those parts, space and opportunity to be able to recognize that this isn't working for us and recognize that we want to make some change. And what do you want that to look like? Not not what your mama said, not what auntie said. <laughs> I don't nobody else, society, nothing. What is it that you want? Yeah. Um, it's just so beautiful and powerful. And and yeah, that is why and how the relationship really gets a beautiful foundation. Yeah. Because how many times do we go throughout different settings in our lives and people are like, what do you want? Mm-hmm. How many times I ask that question, people can't even answer it. And I get why. Yeah. Because nobody asks. They're just like, oh, you want this or go do this. And this is your next step. Yeah. Like for, for you to be seen and then also have the space to be heard. That is so, I mean, I'm getting chills just saying it. I always do. <laughs> like, this is for you what do you want what do you how how can I support you in dreaming big mm-hmm. right so I love that you said you're a dreamer and I'm like yes I yeah. tell people, I'm like tell me the dream what is it what do you want yeah yeah there's something about I'm, I've worked you know of course outside of eating disorders too but there's something about the power of like supporting and just like uncovering and like nurturing voice in eating disorder recovery that just has such a sort of sacred energy around it that I, I can't even like always say the words for, but there's something really, really important there. Um, and I even just think of like taking a step back, like I think as a as a therapist, part of why it's so important for me to support that that voice in eating disorder recovery is because a lot of times the eating disorder behaviors and like the more symptom stuff can be a way that like people from minority and marginalized communities especially our communities are managing a tremendous amount of stress Mm -hmm. stress whether that's like any of the levels like internally interpersonally like community-wide more systemic like all of those layers and when we're able to say like, hey, but like, help me understand what's going on. Like, what's the world that you live in? What are all the, the things mm. that hold you manage, you're struggling with? 
and like where are you wanting to go i think when we're able to really like support that voice and coming out more that ends up being like such a, a like kind of foundation or maybe not foundation like core pillar mm -hmm. process and i think that's why i like i love just starting there and like that in itself opens up like it yeah. opens because the opposite can really close things down. I was just having this conversation at some point and the person was talking about how their doctor was telling them that they needed to lose weight and mm -hmm. that all you need to do is, and then they filled in a blank with these things. And yes. the person was looking back at me and I could see and I could feel the overwhelm. Mm -hmm. And I was like, we can work on this together Mm -hmm. because I know that there are a number of layers and different things that are going on in your life. And it's not as simple as what this provider is making it look and seem like, right? Because there are layers to your life that come up and that fluctuate and other people that depend on you and that you care for and work and so on that let me meet you where you're at. Talk to me about what's happening for you here. And then mm -hmm. we can, put our heads together and get creative around that. Exactly, yeah. But that shutdown that can happen when people try to come in as the expert or try yeah. to say, you need to just do this. It's like, well, that's simple. <laughs> what? Where did you get that idea from? <laughs> um, so we talked about a whole bunch of different things and kind of inter intertwining different topics, but is there anything that you think is important or that you find yourself saying quite a bit that maybe I didn't ask you and you want to share before we start to wind down? Oh, that's such a good question. I I think I actually pulled a lot of like my sort of ism, like, like ism statements kind of through. Yeah. Um, I, I think if there's anyone who's a struggling with any eating disorder behaviors or just wanting to learn more, especially um, about recovery from an eating disorder as a person mm -hmm. of color or from any other minority or marginalized community, I will say that there are starting to have more and more resources online mm -hmm. that are actually really beneficial. So um, the conversation and the narrative is opening up a little bit more. And also there are a lot of providers who are really dedicated to creating this empowering, healing, culturally sensitive, um, empowered agency sort of space. Um, and so like, please, if you're struggling, reach out for support and know that support is available and there. Um, and it's it's possible to get better. Like it, it isn't, um, eating an eating disorder isn't something that someone needs to struggle with or suffer with endlessly. Mm -hmm. And definitely not alone. Mm -hmm. Definitely not, not alone. We were talking before I actually hit the record button around fit, right? Yeah. And I say this with people trying to find therapists or trying to con just connect with a professional. It's really around how do you connect? Are they asking questions that you are feeling seen and that when you're answering, you feel heard? Mm -hmm. um, and understood and if the person doesn't understand you that they ask instead yeah. of making presumptions and so on so that can be really pivotal in any kind of treatment and so i'm glad that you said that there there are a lot of resources 
they are hard to come across. We do yeah. have to do some homework and digging. And if and when you're ready for that support and taking that step, there are opportunities and options there. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So I will have in the show notes ways that people can connect with you. Um, and I'm thinking that's Instagram and website, anything that I missed? I don't think so. That sounds good. And I'm happy to like share resources um, too, if that's okay. Maybe in the notes, like a few um, organizations that might be able to help with education or getting connected. For Love folks. it. Yes, please. Okay. Love it. Our people are black and brown women of the diaspora and, you know, our cultures are strong and really important to us and really wanted to make sure that we are living a life that is in line with how we want to show up while also still connecting and maintaining the cultural aspects and the legacies that our ancestors have shared with us mm -hmm. and continue to pass on the yep. healing and the growth forward. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming through today, Ashley. I really appreciate you. Um, and for everybody listening, please don't forget, don't be greedy, share this with the homies and let them know that they can listen on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Google. And if you ever have any questions, don't hesitate to send us an email. We're active on Instagram. All those deets are in the show notes. Don't worry about that. Um, but outside of that, I hope you have nothing short of a beautiful fucking day, y'all. Peace.